There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's January 11th, 1569, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. Amid a carnival atmosphere, it was on this day that the first ever British National Lottery winners were drawn in a custom-built wooden building on the grounds of St Paul's Cathedral, a mere 18 months after ticket buying had opened. And do you know what? The atmosphere around St Paul's sounded pretty wild in any case, even before they got to the drawer of this first ever National Lottery. Apparently, archers used to practice shooting at the statues on the building. Drunks urinated in the pews. Brawling and drawing swords in the streets was common. It was just the most (laughs) sort of out of control kind of place, even before you had the superimposition of this quite circus-like atmosphere of this uh, lottery drawer. Well, that might sound bizarre by modern standards if you're imagining this lottery drawer to be like a modern one, you know, with a a machine spinning around with your big money balls. Uh, But it wasn't like that at all. It continued day and night for four months until the 6th of May. So when you, when you suggest, like, oh, carnival atmosphere, people drinking and urinating, yeah, well, across the course of four months, you have to drink and urinate. This was like an endurance test just to watch the lots being picked. But the reason that there was a huge amount of interest amongst the general public who gathered there with tickets uh, was that the top prize, well, initially, the top prize was £5,000. £100,000 in today's money. But then what happened, for reasons we'll go into... <laughs> Echoes of our Sinclair C5 episode from yesterday wasn't the success that the organisers had hoped. Uh, And actually, another reason why the draw was so prolonged was because the prizes had to be divided in 12 because they only sold a twelfth as many tickets as they'd expected, which involved some pretty complicated mathematics on the ground (laughs) whilst they were determining who'd won what. Uh, yeah, so the lottery was advertised as being with no blanks, i.e. meaning if you bought a ticket, you'd be guaranteed to win something, even if it wasn't necessarily the same amount that you'd paid to enter. But because, yeah, the, the prize money had been calculated on the assumption that they would sell 400,000 tickets, but in the end, they sold less than a tenth of that. So all the prizes had to be slashed, which meant that 11 out of 12 ticket holders would end up walking away with nothing, which must have been extra disappointing after having waited so long for the draw, which had been put off several times in an attempt to sell more tickets. I mean, before we even go there, I think we maybe need to go one step further back as to the why of this whole thing. Why was there a first national lottery being held uh, in the first place? Lotteries had been around at least since Roman times and possibly even earlier. Sluice in the Netherlands had held a lottery in 1434, uh, for example, to help fund the fortification of its town. And Bruges followed in 1466, though interestingly, that lottery was to uh, benefit the city's paupers. But this was going to be the first ever time that a national lottery was held. And it was being held to rebuild the ailing ports and the merchant fleet, which under Elizabeth I, First, had been vital to particularly England's cloth trade, which had been spluttering. And they thought, you know, first and foremost, we need to get our ports fixed up and we need to get our boats in order. And so uh, without being able to raise taxes for various complicated reasons, 
in fact, not that complicated, just the basic thing that no one likes taxes, um, they, they decided to hold a national lottery. Yes, and there was a very serious defence purpose to uh, improving the ports and building up the Royal Navy as well, which was, as we've discussed in our episode from last year, Mary Queen of Plots, uh, that Elizabeth was sort of single-handedly propping up this Protestant church of hers, um, whilst everyone else in Europe was not so keen on that. Um, So, you know, they were worried about future religious conflicts. Um, And it's interesting, isn't it, when you think about the national lottery as we have it now that was established by uh, John Major in the 1990s in Britain, which has always had this element kind of filed under charitable causes, which is a bit of a fudge, of subsidising infrastructure, basically, like cultural infrastructure, you know, soft stuff that you probably wouldn't spend taxes on, but still the kind of thing that other nations do spend taxes on, you know, rebuilding town squares and funding public art and stuff like that. And that's kind of what this was even then. People realised that gambling could be used to pay for things that otherwise the state mm-hmm. would have to um, charge higher taxes for. Yeah, and when Elizabeth I was initially presented with the idea, it was the brainchild of her very close advisor and Lord High Treasurer and Secretary of State, which you could apparently just be all of those things, uh, Sir William Cecil. He'd apparently heard about the lottery idea that was being done in Belgian cities to repair their fortifications. But when he told Elizabeth about this idea... She thought it was pretty tawdry, like you say, only because of the gambling connection. And she only agreed on condition that the ticket price be set extremely high to try and limit participation to the aristocracy. Because it was, I guess there was kind of this feeling that the paupers of the country shouldn't really be having anything to do with the Queen. You know, you don't want to go cap in hand to the yeoman farmers of the country asking for their spare shillings to undertake your projects. So 10 shillings was actually very high. I've seen various estimates, but it's maybe up to like a year's salary for a farm labourer. But you could buy shares in the tickets, couldn't you? Which is, I suppose, exactly how it would work now, isn't it? Like if you launched, if, the, if for some reason uh, the Queen was to launch a national lottery where the price of a ticket was, you know, 10 grand, then what you'd do is you'd have a syndicate, wouldn't you? They would all get together and mm. put in £50 each or whatever. And that's effectively what people did then. And they couldn't afford mm. 10 shillings, so they put in a few pennies or whatever they could afford and... And then that complicated things as well, because the big money prizes suddenly weren't so big money anymore and really complicated to work out who got what. I think also in terms of the gambling risk, you know, there were two big barriers to entry. One was definitely the fact that uh, the ticket price was so high. But the other thing was that Elizabethans would have easily been able to work out that the odds of winning were one in 16,000. And yes, there were all of these booby prizes where you got a fraction of your money back. But really to get the one of the main big prizes, it was this minuscule amount. Though, of course, today's lottery odds of about one in 14 million or whatever <laughs> would have been totally beyond their comprehension. But I think that trying to set up a whole new system of gambling that had odds that were that long must have been a deterrent for a whole lot of people. However, the purchase of the ticket did come with a surprising bonus, which might have made splurging worthwhile. If you were a wanted criminal, you would be granted immunity for all your crimes except murder and treason for a seven-day period if you came into town to buy a ticket. Can you explain why they did this, Rebecca? I mean, I understand what's in it for the criminals. Why, what is in it? for the, I mean, because this, this wasn't really honoured. Like, the only evidence that we have that anyone tried to honour this was some bloke who was in jail, and it was then reported that he sort of pled clemency and this was responded to in jest or something, the report says. Like, no one took it seriously. Like, I've got a lottery ticket, so you shouldn't arrest me. Yeah, someone tried to pull it and uh, he was just laughed at and then put in prison. But why was it offered this kind of real-life get-out-of-jail-free card? Why would the state (laughs) offer that? 
Well, they got pretty desperate for selling tickets because all these promises had been made. And again, it was, you know, the Queen was associated with this promise that everybody would win a prize. And it soon became apparent that this was just not going to happen. You know, this was the first time this had ever been done. So it was impossible to predict how it would be received. But people proved extremely reluctant to buy into this, you know, this strange new scheme. And at one point, the organisers hired merchants to go around and try and sell tickets. They pressured local officials to drive up sales. So a lot of the tickets in the end were actually bought by parishes and by guilds who have basically been leaned on to buy as many tickets as possible. Mm. And for this reason, they kept pushing the draw back. And this eventually was starting to lead to some unrest because people were starting to think, is this some kind of a scam? When are they going to draw it? So they were finally Mm. pressured to make the first draw on this day in 1569, even though they'd only sold about 35,000, 40,000 tickets. So way, way, way below what they needed. Although it still covered the cost of the prizes. I know that sounds like a failure, like you want to make a profit, obviously. (laughs) But the fact that so long had passed between announcing the competition and then the lottery being drawn did mean effectively the government had had a kind of interest-free loan from the public. So it wasn't a complete failure when it comes to supporting infrastructure. They did suddenly have money in their coffers to spend on other stuff. That said, it wasn't quite enough to do all of the rebuilding of the ports that they were hoping for. We're saying as well, though, that uh, the prizes weren't just cash either. Um, so the, the top prize was £5,000. Um, even that was paid in part in gold and silver tableware and, quote, good linen cloth. <laughs> Um, But it wasn't so much like a modern national lottery as more like one of Andy Peters' giveaways on Good Morning Britain because there was a headline cash prize, uh, but also tapestry and gold jugs. Like it was, you know, you look at the posters that are advertising it and there's as much emphasis on the jugs as the cash. I feel like if this experiment was run again, i.e. there was a top prize of, I don't know what it would be in today's money, let's say £10 million, right? £10 million linens. Exactly. (laughs) But everyone got a prize... Everyone got a prize, and that could be some spoons or it could be some tableware. I'd be more inclined to play that than the National Lottery. It's a bit like that promotion in McDonald's, isn't it? Is it Monopoly when every time you win something? It's just like a refill on your Coke, but you still feel like you've won a thing. And I think probably that rush explains why, despite the fact that this was a bit of a flop, it didn't kill the whole concept of the lottery. Even in this imperfect first form, people still had the bug. Yeah, well, it demystified, I suppose, what would have been seen as like an exotic European occupation, right? The fact that it was relatively reputable and people did actually get the cash when they did the draw was a proof of concept, wasn't it? People could then trust the state to do this again in 400 years' time. (laughs) 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 With Anthea Turner rather than Elizabeth I. Tomorrow. He spent several days packed in dry ice, which is not part of cryogenic freezing normally. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.